Hey, it's Brandon Laws, host of Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for joining me for today's conversation with Jennifer Conweiler. She's the author of Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, How to Unleash Everyone's Talent and Performance. And in this podcast, in this discussion, Jennifer makes the case that most companies don't really think whether or not their workplace and cultures are fit to cater to both extroverts and introverts and that we're missing out on a humongous portion of our workforce by not unlocking the skills and the talents of those introverts. A lot of our meetings, a lot of our events, a lot of how we work in teams caters to extroverts. So what can we do about that? Well, in this episode, Jennifer and I talk about that, and she's got a lot of great ideas. I think you're going to love this episode. So make sure that if this is your first time listening to Transform Your Workplace, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We would love to have your support going forward. And if you're a longtime listener and really enjoyed this episode, make sure to give us a, a review on Apple Podcasts uh, or wherever you can write a review. That would be very helpful. Uh, And of course, spread the word on social media. We love having new listeners that see the world the way we do, which is making a great workplace and transforming the workplace for the better. So thanks for joining us for today's episode. And we'll talk to you next week. We got lots of good stuff coming. Jennifer, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Brandon, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited to talk about introverts. I consider myself one. You wrote an entire book. The book is called Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, How to Unleash Everyone's Talent and Performance. So let's just start right away. Like, What's a good way to assess whether workplaces are set up for introverted employees? Because I assume... And maybe it's a poor assumption, but I assume that most companies aren't even thinking about whether or not they're set up to cater to both extroverts and introverts. You are so right about that, Brandon. It's not really on the top of the mind of particularly our senior leaders, although that is changing. That's the good news. You know, 10 years ago, I would bring this up, and the first book I wrote was called The Introverted Leader. And people would say to me, isn't that an oxymoron? <laughs> it seems like it, yeah. Right? But as far as workplaces go, no, it's not. But it's not on the mind of everybody. But what's happening is that as more people understand introversion and extroversion and how it can be another lens that we look through, you know, to understand each other, some of the frustrations that we experience are sometimes related to that. But the more people become aware of that, then they start talking about it. They start writing about it, and it starts to make its way into the organization that they're in. So it's been cool to watch this, what I call the introvert revolution, uh, occur, and that's happening in the workplace now. Do you always recommend workplaces figure out where they're at as far as having a workplace that's set up for introverted employees? I know you have an assessment that's in the book, and I don't know if you walk people through that just to see where they're at at a quick glance. 
Well, you know, it's interesting, Brandon, because this is the very first book that's ever been written about the workplace. Just a little background. As you know, I've written three other books, and they were all focused starting out in 2010 when The Introverted Leader came out, all focused very much on the individual and the team. Yeah. And now this is what I was hoping this book would be, would be really a roadmap for organizations to follow and also a way to collect more data about best practices. So yes, we have a quiz that's available you know, on my website. And that's a good starting point. And when I work with companies, it's really been asking them a lot of questions around you know, your meetings and how you hire people and how you build your teams and how you lead. And there's seven different functions that we go through when we're talking with people. But right now, I got to tell you, we're at the infant stages of these conversations, which yeah. is also gratifying to see sort of the wave increasing. You mentioned that a lot of this work on introverts started with the individual. And I am familiar with, and I think I even bought this book, just never read it yet. Susan Cain's work, the book Quiet. Yes. Yeah. Is that more individual based? And how does your book differ from something like that? Yeah, well, actually, Susan and I were first introduced by Dr. Adam Graham. My book had just come out and she was still doing research on her book. And what was interesting was Susan really broke open on a very large scale with her TED Talk and her best-selling book, yeah. the conversation, but also brought a lot of the research in, you know, to make the case for introversion as not living in an extroverted ideal society. But what was really cool is my books and my approach, I, you know, I come from a leadership development, training, coaching background. So my books, Brandon, are very practical. And so there was a really nice marriage there with, okay, so now we have this awareness and like, wow, we are very much extrovert focused. All of our systems seem to be focused that way. People are frustrated from young ages. And so I then take it and give you ideas and tools for how to implement that. And Susan and I have collaborated on a number of different pieces of writing and she's endorsed all my books and or most of them. And so, yeah, we have a really nice relationship. And I'll tell you what's interesting now. There's so many, every day I probably get contacted random by coaches who specialize in coaching introverts or this new book or article that's come out around introversion. And I got to tell you, there are only a few of us. There's like that less than I could count them on my hand of authors and people interested in this topic. So again, I'm so pleased to see the tremendous interest that people have. And I think they've realized that having this lens to look through, not just in the workplace, but also in our personal lives, which really basically motivated me to get into this. You know, I, I write about my husband, Bill, and, you know, and how I'm an extrovert, he's an introvert, and I had to figure out how to get along with him. <laughs> I love you that. You know, that was a lens to look through. And so I think a lot of people are relating it to the personal and the professional. Yeah. I want to dive into some of the meat that is in the book, and we won't be able to cover everything, but I want to start with the hiring process. So on this podcast, we've done a lot of talks or discussions on culture. Yeah. And so often I've heard the term, hire somebody that you would go get a beer with after work, mm -hmm. and because they seem like a culture fit. And I think your book, and I think you specifically say it, that's not the right approach necessarily, because it, it sort of leaves out, I mean, you basically hire somebody that acts like you. It's You're comfortable you because them, right? They, yeah. yeah. So why is it not the right approach? Maybe well, elaborate on that. Yeah, I love that you pulled out. First of all, let me give you kudos for reading the book, Brandon, because most people in interview <laughs> don't, and I know you did, so I appreciate that. Yeah, so what happens is we tend to have what Reed Hoffman 
co-founder of LinkedIn calls monocultures. We start to hire people that look and sound like us. And we're not even aware of it sometimes. You just like, well, I'm comfortable with that person. But maybe it's the person that you're not that comfortable with. That is the person, let's say you're an extrovert and you're looking for somebody without even realizing that you have that internal bias of like somebody who's, you know, smiling and has an easy conversational flow, for instance. But yet that's not even what the job requires. You know, we have to look at what the competencies are that are needed in a job. Is that really needed to accomplish that job? And most of the time, that's not the case. So we have to be so open in terms of how we're looking at people and looking at their personalities and how they come across in first impressions. So there are many, you know, probably thousands and millions of people have been knocked out of opportunities for great fits for themselves and great contributions to their company just because, as you say, Brandon, they didn't, or as I might have said, or <laughs> we're saying it's kind of a common phrase, you know, I didn't think I could have a beer with that person, <laughs> right? Or a glass of yeah. wine or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is there like in the hiring process, is there a way to sort of put those things aside, whether they're introverted, extroverted, or is this something you should try to tease out in questions to figure out where they might fit? And if, it, if those tendencies would fit with the workplace? Well, again, it's the culture fit, which you will pick up when you have them interview with different people in the organization for them to kind of fit that out. We're not excluding and saying that, you know, the culture, they have to be anti-culture. You're like, if we say culture, the culture is very open and let's say they're more closed. No, that's not necessarily what we're saying. We want to make dig a little deeper and find out, again, what are those behaviors that they're exhibiting, right? In the interview, particularly the interview process, which is, really rubbing you the wrong way. And I'm not saying don't listen to your gut, but really question yourselves. Are you saying, what could we do, Brandon? It's really, we need to start with ourselves as leaders and as interviewers and as select people that are selecting folks to come into the organization. We really have to question our own biases and our own preferences. And you know, I was really impressed in doing research for the book. I went out to Silicon Valley and talked to a number of HR leaders and diversity and inclusion people. And One of the models that I found to be replicated in several high-performing companies was that you always had, when you had particularly a startup type culture, you always involved the CEO or the founder in those interviews. And so they were looking for fit, but they were also looking at what could that person bring. So I think we have to have more voices into the interview process in terms of evaluating people so that we're not so biased by just making that decision ourselves. I think this is towards the end of the book, but you talk about Patty McCord in her book, Powerful. And uh, I read that book and we, as a book club at Zenium, we all read that and I loved it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, it's very controversial, isn't it? It totally is. But she talks about hiring people for the future of the business. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how you think about that. Because I don't know if it would mean, oh, let's hire introverts that are going to get us where we need to go. Or if you think like, maybe let's, add something to that approach to make it work really well. Yeah, I think, again, you have different voices in that decision is important. I think that's one of the things she's saying too, right? Don't be so narrow-minded. She does talk about hiring for the future. You're absolutely right. One of the ideas that she had in her book that I kind of challenged that a little bit was about in terms, I think, learning and development and being sort of an ancillary, I don't know if you remember that, an ancillary part of the organization that it wasn't as important as other types of training or other types of HR initiatives. And so I think we need to just look at how all these things affect. Well, the question is to ask in all of these functions and the seven functions I mentioned, 
to really just question whether it's interviewing, whether it's you know delivering training systems or learning and development. How are introverts, what's the best way for them to fit into that? Not that we want to isolate them, but what's the best way, for instance, for introverts to learn? So the question is now we're not really asking those questions. You know, we're not saying that that's another dimension of diversity. Yes, it's maybe not as evident or as race or ethnicity or gender, but yet it's under, as many people call it, the hidden aspect of diversity. Introversion is under the surface. So a lot of times your people, you'll be losing out on the engagement and even retention because eventually people check out and they'll actually leave, but not necessarily tell you, right? If you're not paying attention to that question, and I think you brought that up in the beginning, just asking the question about how are we serving introverts? And in the book, I give a lot of detailed examples about companies that are actually doing that well. I'm going to make a sweeping generalization here, but I think go ahead. it's got to be somewhat <laughs> true. So leaders inside of an organization tend to be extroverted. I think that that's got to be true for the most part. And you bring up this concept called loudership. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if you coined that term, but you talk about it. What is that? Because I think it ties in with what I just said, which is leaders tend to be loud, outspoken, extroverted type of leaders. Well, actually, I'll challenge you. I'll push back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Please do. It's estimated that between 40 and 60% of some senior leaders are actually introverted. And throughout the organization, it's like that too. But what you may be observing or basing your conclusion on, Brandon, I'm not sure, is what you see on the outside. Yeah. And when you refer to that term loudership, yeah, that has really resonated a lot with people, not in a positive way, but (laughs) in a realistic way. This came from a company where I was doing some due diligence interviews before I was coming in to facilitate a leadership retreat session. And I was told time and time again that that was the concept. That was kind of a joke, but not really in the company. They called leadership loudership. But, you know, that's really on a macro scale. That is what we see a lot in terms of what's the ideal leader. It's the person that's out there that's boisterous, that's extremely loud, you know, moves very fast. And I'll never forget, I had one young man when I first got into this work or kind of was one of my motivators. And he said to me, I'll never be a manager or a leader at my company because everyone does that. You know, I'll never be that way. And he just didn't see examples of introverted leaders. And that wasn't because they weren't there quietly doing their work, but that's not who was showcased, you know, in their company. Good news, again, on the positive side, we're seeing more introverted leaders come out of the closet, if you will, and say, guess what? You may think that I'm an extrovert because I'm very good in social situations and I can get up and do public speaking, but I have to tell you, I have to go home at night and I need to decompress for two hours. Does that sound familiar, Brandon? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, for me, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So I think that leadership, we need to just kind of push back against that prevailing assumption that leaders do have to be loud and boisterous. We need both. We need a mix. We need, as you mentioned before, we need diversity. I think it's a time and place for sure where leaders need to be out in front. They need Uh to be controlling the room, whatever it is. Like I actually think of the Microsoft heydays of, you know, with Steve Ballmer, he was always on stage, like pumping up the crowd and he's loud and whatnot. And it's like, you know, maybe behind closed doors and smaller meetings, he, he's not that way. I don't know for sure. Right, And let's think about Tim Cook, because we're saying with kind of technology examples, you know, Tim Cook is a known introvert, right? And that's shown by many examples, how well he listens and picks up on things, his keen observational skills, 
Of course, he worked with Steve Jobs, who would consider probably more of an extrovert. Then there's Steve Wozniak. We're bringing all male examples here, but <laughs> for now, but there's, you know, there are many examples in technology of leaders who are introverted. I worked, uh, was on a panel discussion last year with a woman named Jess Lee, who's a venture capitalist, is a serial entrepreneur, extremely introverted and extremely successful. And there's so many examples of that within the Valley and other places. Does it seem that within most workplaces, and it doesn't have to be, you know, big organizations in Silicon Valley, but even the smaller, medium-sized organizations, are extroverted skills more valued inside of a workplace? Or is at least, is it set up that way? Well, let's talk about, let's be a little more specific. When you're talking about extroverted skills, I can make the assumption, quick on the feet, you know, thinking out loud, right? Yes, Getting yes, ideas exactly. up. As you said, being able to chat up a room easily, you know, getting people to connect with each other and winging it. Like if the board president asks you what the reason for this is and you don't really have a lot of time to think about it, you can come up with something quickly, right? That's an example, just some of the characteristics of an extrovert. Yeah, that is valued. And so are, you know, the deep thought, the reflection, as I mentioned, the keen observation, the calmness, the listening, the deep listening, the writing, all of those skills are very important. And I should say that that's an introvert, right? And that's an introverted leader. But both of these, as you say, are extremely important when we have them both within us. This idea of introversion and extroversion, we now know it's really more on a spectrum. So if you think about it as a bell curve, most of us are sort of more towards the middle. But we have a slight preference, you know, towards one side or the other. And extroverts get charged up by being out there and being on stage and being with people, stimulated by people. Introverts like being with people, but it's in a different way, you know, maybe in small doses, one-on-ones, focused conversations, and getting a chance to have quiet time and breaks. So all of those things, all those qualities are extremely important. And as I say, the cool thing is we have those Oh, that whole spectrum, each within us, you know, so it's a matter of tapping into those both sides to be effective as a leader. I 100% agree with you that both the extroverted skills, introverted skills are valued and needed inside of an organization. But when I think about, you know, time spent, let's say, like in a boardroom where there's 10 Mm -hmm. people and your CEO calls on you or something, and as an introvert, you need to sit there and think about it for a second before giving an answer. Like, do you ever see where you get a chance to pause for a minute and think about it and then respond? I just don't see that a whole lot. Maybe it's just Mm -hmm. my situation, but... Well, let me... Yeah. I was just going to say something about what you said. Yeah, go for it. That's where we go back to educating people about what introverts are. And the more that organizations realize that we don't need to make that the model all the time, that there's this question, answer, question, answer, and no time to think about it, whether it's in the boardroom or whether it's on a team Zoom call, right? When people understand that introverts need a little time, that it's actually good for everybody to have that, then you start to see changes. You say, well, let's, you know what, let's take a moment to just think about that. So that can happen. Now, let's say it's not happening. We mentioned the board scenario is one or a very high pressure with a customer, maybe who's very kind of aggressive or assertive and wants those answers. It's okay to say, look, I haven't fully baked this idea, but here's my thoughts on it. Or 
let me get back to you on that point, point of it. I can answer this now. So the other thing that introverts do, I'll tell you one more ace in the hole. This is one of the real <laughs> differentiators for introverts that we need to nurture within our workplaces. And that is preparation. Yes. I mentioned before extroverts can wing it. Well, when they wing it, it's not always, you know, really deep, thought <laughs> no, no, out ideas, right? <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Some people just like to just fill the air with noise and they're not even well thought out. Exactly. Answers. Exactly. So when introverts prepare in that scenario you describe, they even can have just sort of even a little script with bullet points in their head, anticipating if they know what the focus of the session is going to be on. This goes for yes. like any meeting. And introverts have told me if they know, then they can prepare questions, they can prepare talking points even in a little framework that they put together in their head. So there's lots of ways to sort of compensate for being called on at the last minute. It's funny because that should be like good meeting management 101 where it's yes. sending out an agenda in advance or yes. bullet points with questions that are going to be posed. And for the introverts that can't think on their feet, like if those questions were posed during the meeting, that's so much better to send it in advance anyways. And I think it's going to cater to both the extroverts. They might procrastinate and not even look at it in advance and they can think on their feet during the meeting with those, but the introverts at least have a chance exactly. to even the playing field during the meeting. Exactly. And there's a term now that I've heard quite a bit, Brandon, called good meeting hygiene. <laughs> yeah. And having an agenda is part of that, right? That's really key. Like even in these Zoom meetings now, having somebody to monitor the chat, you know, putting people in roles. That's good meeting hygiene. We used to have people stand at flip charts and take notes, you know, but like, how are you making your meetings really effective? Do you even need a meeting? Because that's sort of the, the pushback, you know, from everybody, particularly introverts. Yeah, I think the introverts would love that. No meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all would. I think Steve Glavisky, one of your guests has talked about that too. Yeah. What are some of the myths that you hear about introversion that just make you cringe? Ooh. Introverts are slow. They can't make a decision. They don't have any feelings because they don't show anything on their face. Mm. <laughs> or because they don't show anything. They're processing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You got it. Because they are not showing emotions, they also paint many pictures or project a lot, like they're angry. I've heard this a lot from women who are introverts that they even have a harder challenge there in some cases because they're supposed to be all friendly and smiling. And if they're in their heads thinking, they even get a harder rap than the men who are just kind of a, you know, have a calm face. So those are a lot of them. But, you know, when I get groups together, when I do trainings either virtually or live, the introverts will go on and each of them will kind of build off each other saying, you know, this is what the kind of negative things people think I'm not friendly and that sort of thing. So I, or I'm not listening, but I really am, you know? So again, it's part of the solution to that is sharing with people your personality style and what you need to be successful and how you best communicate. And once we talk so much about you know, the work itself and the deadlines and the project uh, milestones. But as I mentioned in the book, we overlook oftentimes to our detriment, taking a look at how we communicate and describing that to other people and what 
our styles are like. And just when we have that conversation, it really does open people's eyes up and we work much better together. Yeah. So speaking of communication in chapter four, you describe the modes of communication that introverts tend to rely on. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'd argue even extroverts nowadays, especially with this, for a lot of workplaces, a remote work, I mean, we're relying yeah. on a lot of different technology, chat, Slack, email, video chats, all that stuff. What do introverts tend to default to? What do they default to? Yeah, like in terms of a top three, what do they like the most? If you could just make a generalization. Oh, okay. Well, they like email. Yeah. And they like text in general, right? Text? That's interesting. Yeah, text because it's, again, it's written and it's not talking. I don't have to talk to you because the thing they don't like is the phone. The phone sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon, you are definitely identifying as an introvert on this call. Yeah, right. No, I love, I mean, like this, I love... Mm-hmm. being able to talk with you, but I was also prepared for this versus if somebody just randomly calls me, I am not going to answer the phone unless I had it scheduled and I know what they want. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I think I mentioned in the book, those were the top two where we did a survey and those came out. Now that was pre-COVID. People are appreciating on some of these calls that at least get a break from these Zoom calls you know, in virtual calls, yeah. at least give me 10 minutes. And a lot of people feel now that they're, and this is a little bit related more to remote work, but that they have to prove that they're doing work because they're home and they're fearful that their managers or teams might not know they're working so hard. So they'll give in and take those phone calls, et cetera. I think with the phone calls, that's another communication piece here. The thing to think about is let people know that you'd like to have a conversation or you can have it live. I think on, I think you can on Slack. Can't you, Brandon? I don't know. I don't um, use Slack, but you I don't think use Slack. Okay. I use Microsoft Teams for. Can you on Teams though? I yeah, we can, we can do can. that on Teams. Yeah. You can do it on live. Yeah. So you can switch to live. You can do what do they call asynchronous communication. And as you mentioned in the question, we have lots of options now. You know, introverts will think, What's the best way for me to communicate right now? But I think the main thing is don't surprise people. It's like stopping by at their workstation unannounced. You know, that stop and chat is something that introverts, when we did the survey, you know, people were really pushing back against the open office because of the, not just the open office itself, but because of those interruptions. So it's the same thing now that we're remote, you know, don't interrupt people like, oh, you know, that I just thought I'd call and say hi. That may not be so welcomed. Yeah. So in that same chapter, chapter four on modes of communication, you talk about embracing the silence for introverts. Like you even described a second ago, like, okay, like after a meeting, you have 10 minutes before your next meeting. Let them enjoy that silence to gather their thoughts, move on to the next thing. So how do we create opportunities for embracing the silence? Embracing the silence just means taking a breath and having a chance to have quiet time. So first, in terms of taking that opportunity, we have to recognize that it is important. You know, we're in this busy type A kind of culture where we think if we're not busy, you know, we're not accomplishing anything. And the research I've done over the last 12 years and the books I've written, one of the major themes that keeps me coming back to studying introverts is the power of that pause you know, the power of the pause, Brandon, and how much happens creatively when we're not running around. Like that's when we get our best ideas, you know, and I'll never forget coming home one day 
from work and my daughter Jessie was six at the time and she was in the driveway just dancing around singing in the rain and she had her little raincoat and her umbrella so cute so cute she didn't see me and she was just you could tell she was in her creative bliss you know just imagination as kids do and then somehow she caught my eye and I could see everything just changed you know she just kind of threw the umbrella down and walked in the house And, you know, that was the end of Jessie's world when she was totally uninterrupted. We think about how many times a day, you know, I mentioned interruptions that we interrupt ourselves. You know, we check that email or we go and do that thing that we don't really need to do and not focus, but quiet is needed. We need to take that time because it's also good for us physically and mentally in so many ways, emotionally to take a breath. And so I think that's something to treat with a lot of importance, not to just kind of throw it off. Yeah, so I want to hone in on that a little bit more. Maybe you can coach me a little bit. So I consider myself more of an introvert. I do like the silence. I do like to think. However, I'm really busy. I've got a lot on my plate. And I also want to just be producing stuff nonstop. The problem is I don't leave myself enough space to write, think. Mm-hmm read passages that might inspire me to or just sit in silence, literally just to gather my thoughts. How do you recommend individuals or employees or anybody schedule time for this? Because we know it's important. Yeah, I think you answered the question in your question. And that is scheduling time. I mean, you have to see just as like exercise. You know, a lot of us have to put that in our calendar. I don't know about you. We both said we get up and put our workout clothes on. Yeah, it's a reminder. And then I have to put it in the calendar. It's the same with your breaks. You know, I would just ask you, what's pushing you to be so ultra productive? You know, what's the reason that you feel like you have to go over the top? Because that's really not sustainable. No, it's not. Well, it's an internal need. I'm just answering the question for me personally, and maybe it's for others too, but it's an internal motivator thing. It's like, yeah, I know I could schedule time for silence and for just productive mm-hmm. thought, but <laughs> I'm sitting here on my computer. I'm like, I gotta be. Are you multitasking the... now, Brandon? While we're doing this, nope. Podcast? I am 100 percent in on. <laughs> I this. would not know because I'm not seeing you on video. <laughs> oh, no, that is true. I should have done uh, video. So you no, can trust think, me. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know you're not alone in this. Okay, but you know, let's look at this as the chance right now in the pandemic to slow down, and many people are you know, and to say, what is important? Is it important for me to go like a rat in a wheel? You know, it's not productive. And when we do take a little time, you know, I've started to meditate again. I find it helps. It really does help tremendously. And that's something I've learned from my introverted clients and my colleagues and my friends is that they take time doing nothing, but it's not really doing nothing. They're regenerating those brain cells and they're much more productive when they go back to work. It's really true. I believe the science really supports this. So maybe that'll turn you yeah, turn you on into this new phase. <laughs> I wonder if the listeners thought that they'd be listening to a therapy session. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> I need to send you an invoice. <laughs> My guess is that others are going yes, through the same absolutely. thing. So that's why I asked the question. And, you know, it's easy to just put myself out there. <laughs> we all are going through that, right? Introverts, we know, tend to like working in isolation. They get stuff done. They put their headphones on. They're just doing what they need to do. But at what point does being disconnected to, I don't know, the bigger picture or the team or whatever, 
actually hinder their ability to make progress inside of a company long term? No, I think you bring up a great point there that I probably wrote about. I think I did write about you that. You did, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Because <laughs> I was also thinking about one of my other books about influencing and how you keep visible in an organization. That seems to be one of the key challenges that introverts report to me and surveys I do in my discussions with them is when you have a strength, any overuse of that strength becomes a weakness. So producing great work on your own, yeah, it's terrific, but yet overuse of that means that you're not, as you say, getting the context of the rest of how your work fits in to the rest of the organization and also becoming visible, you know, to people in the company. And so it's not just working harder, it's working smart, as they say. I didn't make up that expression. So what does working smart mean now? It means putting your head up in the computer and thinking, well, right now, don't I know on my team or on a nearby team that I could schedule some time with? Again, planning it, scheduling a you know half hour session to learn more about what they do, share what you're up to in your work, and doing it in a one-on-one comfortable way, you know, not having to shout it from the rooftops. The other thing is now more than ever, I think we have to, the second thing is to manage up. So if you're manager or leader, and some people listening are in small companies, you know, and it might just be one other person is not reaching out to you to more frequently, which they really should be doing now, because, you know, we're not right there to just stop by and chat, then you need to initiate those conversations and schedule some time with an agenda to update them on what you're doing, where you could use some more support, what's going well, and just out of sight, out of mind is the old expression, right? So you don't want to be out of mind. Let's end with this. What are we missing by not hearing from introverts? In other words, let's bring it back to the very beginning of the conversation where we were talking about creating introvert-friendly workplaces is really important. So by not doing so, what are we missing? We're missing between, as I mentioned earlier, 40 to 60% of people's contributions, you know, deep thinking, of analysis, of a calm, reasoned way of being and clarity that we are not getting from people who are not introverted. And there's many other qualities that are affecting us. And it's just affecting the, actually the results right? Of what the organization is getting. We need all kinds of personality types. We need all kinds of diverse characteristics in our organization to see things from different angles, right? To see things from different angles. And as people move into their companies, and you asked earlier, what, what can they do with this lens is to really ask introverts what, how they prefer to have some of these areas of their company emerge. You know, what do you need from me as a leader? What do you want our new workspace to look like when we go back? Like ask introverts, look around, be aware on a moment to moment basis as you're in meetings, as you're talking with people, is this suited to the introvert temperament? Are we really hearing from everybody in the room right now? Are we just letting the extroverts dominate? So just having this lens is going to help you so much because otherwise we are going to miss out on the contributions of so many people and it will affect a, the bottom line, but it's also the right thing to do. Jennifer, I appreciate you coming onto the podcast and discussing your book. I want to encourage listeners to go get the book, Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, How to Unleash Everyone's Talent and Performance 
And I want to also just thank you for writing a book that was 116 pages right before the appendix. So like, it's just, I mean, I read it in one sitting. Thank my editor for that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think most business books need to be doing this instead of just like dragging it out forever. So this is like very digestible. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. And then even the appendix, you go a little further, there's survey stuff, there's book discussion questions. Yeah. which I wish actually every book had that because I lead a book club and I often find myself creating questions, whereas I wish the book just had it. <laughs> but it's good stuff. I really, I really like it a lot. I mean, I love this conversation. Where can people learn more about you and anything else you're working on? Brandon, I would love people to go to my website. I'm on social media, on LinkedIn, everywhere, but jenniferconweiler.com. And also to take the quiz that's on there. I mentioned that's only five minutes. It's also in the book. And it'll help you assess where you are with your team and your company as far as what's going well to suit the needs of introverts. And you may be one or you may not be one, but find that. And also where you can focus your efforts. So I would encourage people to take our workplace survey quiz there. Jennifer, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. And I really appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks. Thanks. 